Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse, and I'm Eric, and today we're reading short and deep. Roberta by Margaret St. Clair. This was first published in Galaxy uh, Science Fiction, October 1962. Quite late in my uh, readings of uh, Margaret St. Clair, but I just, you know, going through looking for more Margaret St. Clair, and uh, I'm like, oh, here's another one. And then I read it. <laughs> She's I, good. Oh, that's why I was looking for more. I was like, I'm becoming like her, you know, super fan on the internet. <laughs> but, um, like, I read this one, I'm like, oh, my God. And, uh, I mean, this might be too hot for the internet, especially now. What do you think of this story? Uh, well, um... Is it too hot? You're not, you're not on the internet as much as I am. No, by all means. I, I, I can't... I won't judge its relationship to the internet. I will say that um, the subject, which I will not discuss until we've had a chance to hear it, um, the subject is a highly contentious one now. That's, that's what uh, I'm saying. Lots of politics involved. Oh, yes. Um, but St. Clair's handling of it is really uh, amazing. Mm -hmm. I will also say um, that absent the question of the subject and even absent the uh, uh, significance, excellence of her style, um, this is a story that raises some crucial problems in narratology mm -hmm. and i hope we can get to that as yep. well in our discussion this is a good you want to tell us something about st Clair? just to remind us about her before we dive in sure or? um usually uh usually i i i just say she's a witch <laughs> or was a witch <laughs> um she lived on the west coast i think somewhere near san francisco and she produced a lot of short stories, uh, very few novels. Uh, her period is between, I want to say, the late 1930s or maybe early 40s until at least the 60s because this is 1962. And we've read it probably at least a half dozen for this show. And uh, I'd be happy to do another half dozen or another dozen <laughs> based on just, you know, every, al almost every one I've read uh, usually the only reason we don't do it is because it's longer than half an hour. It's just because they're so interesting and different. She's right. kind of unfairly forgotten. I don't hear anybody talking about her. A lot of people talk about Lee Brackett and C.L. Moore, and I'm like, what about my uh, Margaret St. Clair? Indeed. She always, it seems to me, has a, a fresh way of dealing with whatever she's dealing with. Mm -hmm. um, it's not just, hey, this is a good story, but Whoa, this is unlike stories that I might have read about this subject. She and, thinks and this different. Is one of those. It's just it's just different. Like whatever she set she sets it, you know, up some problem. And you think, oh, I've seen this in this kind of problem in science fiction. It ends up being different and, and done differently. <laughs> yep. Uh, we yep. come away disturbed. And uh that is absolutely true about this story. Well um Assuming that the original readers in 1962 didn't happen to know about St. Clair's biography, I would suggest we don't give any more of it at this moment. All right. Um, but go right into hearing it. Please okay? read it to me, Eric. <laughs> Roberta. 
Robert leaned on one of the clouds and said reproachfully, you're far too aggressive, dear. I know, Roberta answered in a small voice. It shows in everything you do, Robert continued. Your voice, the way you walk, everything, you'd better watch out for it. It will get you in trouble someday, besides spoiling the illusion. Roberta drew breath in a little gasp. Robert smiled. What's the matter anyhow, he asked. Are you still envious of other women, Roberta? You oughtn't to be, now that we're, well, married and everything. Are we really married, Roberta wanted to know. It seems to me sometimes that I used to be happier. Hush, be quiet. Robert seemed about to chin himself on a cloud and then thought better of it. Of course you're happy. He leaned his elbows on the pinkest of the cloud bands and smiled at Roberta benevolently. He looked, Roberta thought, like a picture Roberta had taken when Roberta was little, as a little Roberta cherub, ever so pretty. Are cherubs boys or girls? Mm. The buzzer on the visa screen at the foot of the big sunken tub, Robert always seemed to show up when Roberta was taking a bath, rang harshly. Roberta clambered out of the tub, picked up a towel with one hand, and with the other pressed a switch. The face of the receptionist on duty at the desk in the lobby became visible. A Mr. Rodvarello Dlag to see you, Miss Prentice, said the receptionist. R-O-D-V-O-R-E-L-L-O-D-L-A-G. He says he knows you. Shall I send him up? Roberta's eyebrows arched doubtfully, rub, rub, uh, but a glance at the ceiling showed that Robert had gone. He might have gone into one of the closets, which was a good place for a skeleton to hide itself. More likely, he had pulled a cloud in after him. Cuckoo, Robert, like a cuckoo in a clock. Oh, have him come up, Roberta told the image of the receptionist's face, in about 20 minutes, even if I don't remember him. Robert and Roberta were waltzing around and around with Roberta's long pink tulle skirt whirling out behind when Mr. DeLag knocked. Robert went away. Roberta went to the door. Mr. DeLag was an extraordinary looking man. Roberta peered at him, tried to remember where people who looked like that came from. He was wearing a buttonhole flower made of brown feathers, extremely large synthetic opal cufflinks, and a suit of unusually garish iridotweed. His manners, though, were excellent. And how are you now, uh, Miss Prentice? He asked when they were both seated. Quite recovered from your operation? Well and happy, I trust? Yes, I'm feeling well, Roberta admitted. Good, I'm glad to hear it, Mr. DeLag declared. His eyes, coal black against the deep whiteness of his skin, twinkled. It wasn't any trouble for me, just a question of exerting a little influence in the right quarters, and if it made you happy, well, any time I'm too busy to help out a friend, I'll leave Earth. Awfully good of you, murmured Roberta, who hadn't the foggiest idea what he was talking about. Mr. DeLag nodded. I came to bring you your ticket, he said. You remember our little agreement, of course. Here it is. He extended an envelope. Roberta opened it. Inside, there was a very long ticket for Vega. One way on the SS Thor, Amsonia Star Lines. Vega. So that was where Mr. DeLag was from. Vega. Why hadn't Roberta realized it before? And was he, like other Vegans, a passionate collector? Was his collection what he went on living for? 
How's your collection, Mr. DeLag? Roberta asked brightly. Mr. DeLag frowned. Dear Miss Prentice, he said, I thought you understood. You won't be subject to annoyance in any way. You're to stay on Nether, that's the vegan planet, only a couple of months. You will be a part of my collection, of course, but you won't be aware of it. You must have a very unusual collection, Mr. DeLag, Roberta said. Mr. DeLag seemed to expand with pleasure. I flatter myself it is an unusual idea, he said. Other vegans collect postage stamps or coins or obsolete radio sets. I collect imitation things. That was what interested me most, you know, when I came to Earth, realizing how many Earth things were imitations. Insects that imitate other insects, plants that imitate other plants, animals that imitate plants, plants that imitate rocks, and half your artifacts imitate other things. It's amazing. There are almost no imitation things on Nieder, my home. Roberta had folded up the ticket and was putting it away in a handbag. At the bottom of the handbag, there was a little gun. It had been Robert's birthday gift. How had he got it? Sliver guns were strictly illegal, but Robert could do all sorts of things. That's very interesting, Roberta murmured. I'm not quite clear, though, Mr. Rob, Rob, uh, Mr. DeLag, how I fit into your collection. Once more, Mr. DeLag frowned. I thought you understood. Well, he smiled deprecatingly. You see, Miss Prentice, you're by way of being an imitation yourself. An imitation, Roberta echoed. It was odd at that word how much Mr. DeLag had begun to resemble Robert. Robert, who usually sat in the sky on a pink cloud. Yes, because of your operation, you know. You're an imitation woman now, Miss Prentice. That's why I helped you with getting it. Roberta pulled the sliver gun out of the handbag and shot Vagan Robert in the forehead with it. Since the forehead is in close proximity to the brain, Robert died almost immediately. Roberta's mouth could not help coming open. Oh, dear. Oh, dear, indeed. For killing Robert was about as naughty a thing as it was possible to do. Naughty, naughty. Naughty. Left Roberta hand, slapped right Roberta hand, the one with the sliver gun, hard and repeatedly. Naughty hand, it deserved to be hurt. But now what was to be done? The big mahogany chest in the bedroom was empty except for the plastic coat Roberta had been planning to wear when the weather got cold. Roberta took the coat out and hung it on a hanger in the closet. Then, catching Vagan Robert by the back of the jacket collar and the seat of his synthetweed pants, Roberta tugged him over to the chest and tumbled him in. The lid closed down on him with a neat bang. There. Having killed Robert was very naughty, certainly, but now that he was dead, well, it was rather nice to have him gone permanently. Something seemed to have happened to time. It alternately caught and then went forward in big jerks, like a tape that sticks in the machine. Roberta put on makeup. It took hours, though it was only five minutes by the clock. Then it was after 11, with nothing happening in between at all, and time for the injection and bed. Roberta sterilized the syringe in alcohol. It was easier than boiling it in water. The needle went into the tip of the sterile ampoule and sucked up fluid. Cotton scoured a spot on one plump thigh. Thielen, Robert said from a purplish-pink cloud bank. And 
extract of the female hormones, your regular glandular therapy designed to make you a little more what you're trying to be. Roberta's heart gave a terrific bound. Go away, go away. You're in the chest. You can't be here. You're dead. There's somebody in the chest, certainly, Robert said with a judicial air. Who it is is another matter. I rather doubt it's me. You may be able to get away with it, lewd, vegan, corrupter of innocent terrestrial youth, slain by heartbroken victim, that sort of thing. Yes, but for God's sake, Roberta, don't kill anybody else. Mind now. He disappeared. Time gave another jerk and it was morning. Roberta couldn't be said not to have slept since there had been no time to sleep in. But what had been on the agenda at midnight was still there now that it was morning. How to make Robert go away and stay away? Well, if there weren't any Robert, there wouldn't be any Roberto, would there now? Sleeping pills? There weren't nearly enough of them. There wasn't any gas in the kitchenette. The bridges were a long way off to jump from. And a hanging weight would break down the chandelier. But in the drawer in the kitchen, there was a knife. Roberta drew the paring knife lightly over one wrist. It hurt. It would hurt an awful lot, really. But it might hurt somebody else worse. Roberta was making a second attempt when the buzzer on the visit screen rang. The noise was startlingly loud and harsh. Roberta jumped so hard that the paring knife shot out of the inflicting hand into the sink and down into the garbage reduction unit, which happened, but how odd, which somehow happened to be turned on. The knife was chewed up almost immediately. The buzzer went on ringing. It was the clerk at the desk in the lobby again, and she had another caller for Miss Prentice. Clement Thomas was a small, slight man, quite ordinary except for his eyes, which were green, bright, and interesting. He said he wanted to see Miss Prentice for a few moments about a personal matter. They talked about the weather for a while, and then Mr. Thomas, like what's-his-name yesterday, said he hoped Miss Prentice was feeling well and happy. Yes, said Roberta. That's good news, said Mr. Thomas. He cleared his throat. You know, Miss Prentice, there's been a recession, depression, whatever they're calling it now. Times have been rather bad for me professionally. Bad for other people, too, said Roberta, thinking of Mr. DeLag in the chest. Mm. Yes, I suppose. Once more, Mr. Thomas cleared his throat. <clears throat> and, of course, I've been somewhat distressed by thinking about our professional um, uh, association. As you know, the operation I performed on you was strictly illegal, though it was performed at your urgent request. If I were to go to the authorities, I could clear my conscience and no doubt get off with a light sentence. But that would mean trouble for you, Mr. Thomas cocked his head and simpered engagingly. Upper, there's nothing so terrible about an abortion, Roberta answered. Abortions, Mr. Thomas seemed startled. His simper disappeared. It looked, Roberta thought, as if the mask he had on over his face was getting thin. He laughed. An abortion, my dear, is something you'll never need, never in this world. He started to laugh again and checked himself. Don't you remember, he said to Roberta, who was fidgeting with the clasp of the handbag and wondering who Mr. Thomas really was under his mask. 
honestly, don't you remember? You came to me six months or so ago, recommended by a certain alien, and asked for my professional services. Your name was Robert Bayless then. You had me perform a sex reversal up. This time there was no possible doubt. This wasn't Clemens Thomas. He was Robert. The person sitting opposite Surgeon Robert shot him in the throat. Since the throat is further from the brain than the forehead is, it took Robert number two quite a lot longer to die than it had taken Mr. DeLag yesterday. Sliver gun darts act directly on the nervous system. Robert tied himself up in convulsion after convulsion, horrid masculine knots, before he relaxed finally. But there, he was dead. Roberta put Robert in the chest beside yesterday's Robert. It was a tight fit. There was trouble with the lid. The bodies were still being wrestled with when, on a bank of black clouds, very low down on the ceiling, Robert appeared. He looked angry. I told you not to, he said. Roberta, trying yet again to make Mr. Lagg's left arm bend backwards, made no reply. Robert chewed on his lower lip, ascended slowly to the zenith of the ceiling, Don't waste time with that, he said at last. You can't possibly get away with it. Get your suitcases, Roberta, and start packing. Hurry up. But Robert, yes. Why do I have to go away? I like this place. What are you using for a brain? If we want to go on living even a little longer, we're going to have to run and run. He disappeared, drawing the black cloud in after him. Roberta remained staring at the ceiling, head thrown back. Adam's apple prominent. What was the use of hoping any longer? No matter where they went, Venus, Vega, Arcturus, even M31, it would be the same. Robert would go along with Roberta. Roberta's jaw set. No, that wasn't quite true. After after Mr. DeLag had died, Robert had been dead for a little while. It might be a matter of keeping on trying. If you killed people enough, you would. It was reasonable, wasn't it? You would get through all the masks they wore to the person behind them. At last, to the one you had always tried to destroy, to him. I'll kill you yet, Robert, Roberta said between his teeth. Wow. It doesn't get less powerful. (laughs) I am shocked. Um, I'm reminded suddenly of a very famous story um, that... uh, it's kind of similar, even though it's quite different. Um, it's called Fondly Fahrenheit by Alfred Bester. It's one of my favorites of his. Um, that one starts with this sentence. Uh, he doesn't know which of us I am these days, but they know the, they know one truth. And yep. we have that happening in this here for sure. Um, I, I did make some notes. Um, I, I, think it's, I think it's a little bit hard to understand this story. Like, just, uh, I, I'm read, I, I read it. I'm like, is, is this really happening? Is, is my, are the conclusions <laughs> that my brain is making based on these sentences what the author intended? So these are the notes I, I wrote. Uh, very surprised. <laughs> Title character seems to have trouble distinguishing reality from fantasy setting is in the future so when an alien collector comes knocking at her door she shoots him after sh- after he suggests she is an quote imitation woman it turns out the robert of her fantasy was the man she used to be before her sex change operation it seems 
like anyone who reminds her of her ex-self, anyone who dead names her, and that's a phrase that is used on the internet now, uh, she kills. And then, quote, an abortion, my dear, is something you'll never need. Never in this world. That's from the story. And then the mm -hmm. ending. If you killed people enough, I'll kill you yet, Robert. Robert said between his teeth. Oh, my. And then head exploding emoji. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, that, this is uh, so much packed into such a short space. There are some, I think because of the way it's told in such a short space, uh, we have these revelations, you know, people come knocking at the door and then we realize something about what's going on in the narrator said. One thing I didn't mention in these uh, notes is um, uh, Roberta is suicidal as well as uh, homicidal. And I, I don't know where this came, like, I don't know where this came from in Margaret St. Clair's life, but um, this idea of imitation things uh it's all over the place the the uh, alien collector is correct right this is in the biological world but it's also like people have lighters you know like for cigarettes that look like guns we have uh <laughs> you know tr transformers the toys like we we like things that look like other things um and that's you know, that's what happened in this story. There's a guy who wanted to transition to become a female. Somebody says, I like things that are artificial. Um, I'll pay for that. But uh, don't... Then the person who wants this says, don't uh, remind me of the fact that I used to be a thing that I'm not, or that I am, that I'm confused. And, uh, like, did I make a mistake? And, like, oh, my God. So this is... Um, it's got a whole host of psychology and you know there, this phenomena of transitioning is also followed by another phenomena detransitioning and uh you know we're not set in a future where we can just travel to other planets and maybe make these things reversible very easily um I, not that we're seeing any evidence of it being reversible in fact taking this drug Day, I don't know if it's daily, but the uh, injection into the leg, uh, the plump thigh uh, of female hormones. This is it's all how it works. And I know that this was happening in the in the fifties. There's a famous uh, uh, Jorgensen case that Heinlein was uh, very interested in, mentioned in a, a couple of stories, and then he has a novel in 1970, I think it is. Uh, called um, I Will Fear No Evil, in which a man has his brain transferred into the body of a, of a woman and becomes a heterosexual woman. And it's like, the people were thinking about this stuff, but not usually the uh, worries about, you know, mental illness and, like, if this is a... So, wow. Oh powerful amazing I'm, I'm so glad you agreed to do a show on it eric i hope we don't get canceled <laughs> well i i think we might uh well i, I mean I, i'm not going to be canceled I, <laughs> you know I, I i'm me and i'm here and i'm right since i'm not on social media but you you can't get me off it um you on the other hand you're risking something by having suggested the story um 
and I wish you the best, my friend. I'll be we fine. will proceed. I, I can weather it. On. I think. Yeah, I think I think the story is terrific. Christine Jorgensen um, came out in 1952, shortly after she had had uh, sex change operations in um, Denmark, mm-hmm. and she was taken as quite a celebrity. Yeah. There was none of the current political backlash. People thought, well, isn't that unusual? And aren't you interesting? And Christine Jorgensen was attractive as a woman. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and in fact, led what mostly turned out to be a nice life. Um, and this was only 10 years after that. So 1962 was not a time when lots of people were transitioning. In no. fact, uh, up until... Um, the century, um, you could never say that lots of people were transitioning. Right. Um, and so uh, understanding the, the cultural context of this is significant. But another thing that I think is really powerful here is how the story changes, not only by knowing the cultural significance, but by having read the story. Mm-hmm. That is, when you reread the story and it says, Robert leaned on one of the clouds and said reproachfully, you're far too aggressive, dear. On a second reading, you know that this is the main character criticizing herself right. for not doing a good enough job of being a female. Mm-hmm. It's already about imitation. And I think if there is any question of cancellation, it comes from the current political moment. Um, I've just actually read a book. Uh, called Irreversible Change mm. uh, about this this subject. Um, it is currently the 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 rule and the the accepted the promulgated practice by the AMA and the Pediatrics Association and so on to follow what is called an affirmation policy. If a if a person, but it's this is politically uh, enormous because it's a lot of teenage girls right um currently if a person goes into a doctor and says i don't feel like a girl i feel like a boy i want help they don't have to say why they don't have to say how long has this been going on they don't have to say um have you seen a therapist to work through these issues they don't even I mean, here in New Jersey, where I live, if a if a an eight year old walks into the nurse in the elementary school and says, I want to change my name and gender, not only will the school do that. But the school is forbidden from notifying the parents. Yeah, because the parents might try to change the kid. This affirmative policy, in effect, says it's the only such medical condition in which you can, uh, the patient can say, this is the diagnosis, doctor, and you have nothing to do but treat it the way I say you wow. should treat it. Yeah. So, right? So, and the the anger that the people who identify as trans have against others who want to say, wait a minute, maybe you think you're trans, but maybe that's your psychological adaptation to something else that's bothering you. Um, for example, it turns out a lot of people who think they're trans then detransition mm. and turns out that they wanted to be lesbians mm. and they become lesbians, which is a very, very different thing. Um, anyway, 
So this current moment, the cancellation has to do with a certain understanding of the extraordinarily attractive possibility, which is simultaneously a terrible victimization mm. in our society of being trans. Mm -hmm. This story um, lets us see from the beginning on second reading, just like Fondly Fahrenheit, this is, according to Margaret St. Clair, an act of dissociation. Yeah. You can't ever not, you can never not be Robert. Uh, you can try to kill Robert. You can try when when Roberta says, "Well, this will hurt somebody, but maybe it'll hurt somebody more." Right. What Roberta is saying is, "I will not commit suicide as Roberta. I'll commit suicide. Robert can die. I'll kill, and then Robert. Roberta can go on." Yeah, exactly. But that, so this story changes a whole lot on subsequent readings. Mm -hmm. That's the sort of narratological issue. If you know the cultural stuff, <clears throat> that that lets you understand about the state of operations in 62, the mm -hmm. state of hormone therapy in 62. Um, but, but the story itself, even if you don't know those details, really, it, you, 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 I think you're, I at least am sympathetic. I mean, Roberta is confused. I mean, I don't believe there's somebody hanging from a cloud in the ceiling. No. So Roberta, Roberta is confused. And I, you know, I want her to be able to, to become comfortable. And it, Heck, if 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 she can stop being so aggressive, but really that's part of the problem of the patriarchy to begin with, telling women they have to be submissive and do things a certain way. But Roberta, if Roberta is really Robert, isn't willing to be submissive to Robert because as Robert, Robert wouldn't be Roberta. And so the clincher is, and this is the thing that makes me wonder about St. Clair's biography. Hmm. This is how it ends. If you killed people enough, so this dissociation is cult is socially dangerous, mm -hmm. right? She's already killed two people, and that garbage reduction unit. Why was that turned on? Mm -hmm. It was turned on because she was going to dismember them and put them through it, mm. right? If you killed people enough, you would. It was reasonable, wasn't it? <laughs> reasonable to a mind like this. Yeah, you 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 would get through all the masks they wore to the person behind them. Now, who is the person behind Roberta? Is it Roberta? At last, to the one you all had always tried to destroy, to him. Mm -hmm. So Roberta is trying to destroy Robert. I'll kill you yet, Robert, Roberta said between his teeth. Yep. So that the narrator is letting us know that Roberta is still fundamentally Robert. Yes. And in doing that... If this were written today, Margaret St. Clair would be canceled. Exactly. Because she is flat out saying, at least in this case, it's a psychopathology. Yes. It is not a recognition of something you're born with. Um, she's, she's pretty clear on that. Now, but she might be wrong. Of, of I mean, course. One of the things that, that women are born with, we are told, I'm a man, I don't know, but... Lots of women, I've known lots of women, including my wife, who bore two children. Mm -hmm. um, lots of women come with a maternal instinct. They want to have children. Mm -hmm. But from what I know, Margaret St. Clair and Eric St. Clair, by choice, mm -hmm. decided not to have children. Mm -hmm. And as you say, she became a witch. They both were inducted into Wicca. Yep. Um, what 
and I wonder, I mean, she's clearly wanting to say that a female to male transition, excuse me, a male to female transition is psychopathological. But I wonder what she thinks about a female to male transition. It's interesting because I wonder, I wonder if her vehemence comes out of something within her. It's it, it is very interesting and makes you want to speculate. I uh, another case that I know about that isn't as you know popular, I guess, as the Catherine, uh, Christine Jorgensen's case is uh, the one of Ed Wood. Ed Wood, uh, ah. famous for Plan 9 from Outer Space and being a terrible filmmaker who's so enthusiastic, you just can't but help want to watch his movies because he's so bad, but he he really, really wants to make good movies. He's just incapable. Um, he did a movie <laughs> called Glen or Glenda, which is uh, 54, I think, and that movie is has a sub title or another title which is i changed my sex um and it is it is not like a comedy it it sounds like it would be considering plan nine from outer space plays like a comedy it is an earnest sort of exploration of the idea it's almost like uh and we know this about edward you know he like wearing women's clothes the famous angora sweater uh, and Mm -hmm. like um jorgensen was a World War II veteran, right? He was a machine gunner in the Marines, I think. Um, this is a, a guy who's experienced, you know, what we think of as the manly thing. Men go off to war, women stay home and raise babies. And he comes back from the war and is like, I want to make movies and I want to be a woman, maybe. And that's, I, I think he was the star of that movie as well, uh, Glenn or Glenda, I, I may be forgetting but uh, i know i know it's done earnestly and um so i think what's cool is we we don't know if margaret st Clair harbored any uh feelings about um you know wanting to change her sex uh but it's possible she knew somebody um there were people back then other than these two who were interested in this concept uh, but it was not a uh a, fashion that's not it was not as popular as it is today it is it was not happening at the pace it is or um at the rate it is today and there's something about uh a science fiction writer which she is which is let's look at what the trends are now and see where they go the most famous science fiction story about transgenderism that i'm aware of is day million by frederick pohl and when I read that first for, first time, I read that story, my uncle, uh, who has himself experimented with the idea of transitioning, um, he gave me that story when I was a very young boy. And I read that. I'm like, oh, my God. And then, you know, 30 years goes by. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, this, stu- this stuff I'm seeing all around me. I read about that in a, a Playboy story from the late 1960s. Right, so it it is like a, what they say a vaccination against future shock. Reading science fiction, um, it's just that science fiction readers and science fiction writers are very interested in to see what happens if this goes on. Dot dot dot, and I I can't believe how how much uh, Margaret Sinclair has done that in this story. 
She really has. But because it does engage with today's politics and because different folks have different views of it and because it's written so compellingly, it almost serves as a Rorschach test for the reader, Mm -hmm. which means when you read it, I read it, anyone reads it, there's always more to say. Thanks very much for listening. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for Reading Short and Deep. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sffaudio.com.